Alrighty, back for a Cash Medi podcast. It's been a while. I've uh, been busy all year, but uh, let's let's do this. Ready to talk some Padres, get into some NFL, some college football, maybe some draft, what have you. So let's start with the Padres. Uh, first thing I want to say on the Padres, as far as this offseason goes, um, I think the pandemic really screwed the Padres. I think it screwed the Padres a lot more than any other team, organization, what have you. And the reason why I think that is when you go into a rebuild like the Padres did, what, they started around 2016, started trading off, um, you know, Kimbrel, and they spent a lot of money in the international signing period, and those guys weren't going to come up until early as 2019, 2020. You, you project around then. Um, you, you did a whole rebuild around that time, and you're, you're going to project that the next two to three seasons, your ticket sales are going to go down dramatically. But you're also going to project that come you know 2019-ish, that the ticket sales will start going up, that the attendance was going to go up. So I think if you went into a normal season last year, I would have projected, and I'm sure they projected somewhere similar to this, that they would have gotten about 30000 a game at the beginning of the season. And then when it looked like they were going to be a playoff team like they were, and they didn't just make the playoffs because they put eight teams in this year or last year, however you want to say it. Um, they were obviously, you know, a top three team in the NL, you know, Atlanta, the Dodgers, the Padres were the three best teams in the National League. So they were going to make the playoffs in a in a normal season. I would assume you would have gotten about 30,000 uh, a game till by the All-Star break when it looked like they were going to be a playoff team. I would have guessed you would have probably pushed that up to close to 34,000, maybe 32,000. So you probably would have averaged for – the 2020 season, you probably would have averaged around 32,000, you know, a game, which this organization for years is always in the low 20s. You know, maybe it sneaks into the 25,000 a game, 26, 27,000, I don't know. But it's never really consistently over 30,000 a, uh, uh, a game. Then you would have came into this year, and I would project you're going to get about 35,000 a game. And that's a lot of money that that's going to go to the owners. And that's how you pay off Machado's. That's how you pay off Hosmer's contract, Will Myers' contract. That's how you pay. You could say, hey, we'll extend Tatis. Um, you know, maybe we go get a big free agent like Bauer, what have you. When, when you have your attendance or when they're projecting that their attendance was going to go way up and now that they're not getting that, I think it hurts the Padres big time. Hopefully, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll ask to give loan money and say, hey, we're going to be good for a long time. We still feel like once this pandemic is completely over and fans are can go into the games, you know, no restriction, and we could get a full crowd, then maybe they feel like they could get that money back. I don't know. But I feel like pending what happens this year, hopefully fans can go to the games I mean, I doubt you're going to be able to get a full capacity. And I doubt you're going to, as of right now, I don't see how you're going to get fans in California. I don't see the Dodgers getting fans, you know. 
with our governor here in California. And you could say, well, every team lost money because they didn't get fans. No, I understand that part of it. But let's say the Pirates were going to project about 18000 a game. And what did they lose? You know, I mean, they lost what percentage do you think went up when when the Padres probably projected maybe 28 30 and then as the season goes on and you keep winning you're going to get more and more then you're going to get the people for the following season really intrigued into your team and really pumped that you went to the playoffs you won a series you beat St. Louis I mean, people are really stoked in this town about the Padres. That's pretty much all we got over here. You got Aztecs basketball, too, and Aztecs football, what have you. I mean, really, just basketball because football, you can't you can't get into the college football playoffs, and I'll maybe talk about that later. But, you know, what else do you have here? You lost a football team, so people are dying for sports here, and it's just it could be a, a freaking gold mine. Right now, as long as you win and you're competitive, I mean, people are going to go to the games because you could have probably stole from the Chargers, I would say easily five to 10,000, 5,000 easily. And then now that you're winning, I would say you could steal about 10,000 that would have normally gone to Charger games and now have season tickets at Padre games. So the trajectory I see of the Padres, obviously, if they continue to win and they have this window of five, seven years, what, what have you, um, that's how you pay off all these big contracts, and that's how the owners are going to look at it. Peter Seidler is going to look at it and say, okay, yeah, I'll spend a little bit more because I know I'm getting more fans. And, and you know, they're a hot, you know, team or however you want to say it. Um, another thing, like, like I'll go back to, like, the Pirates as an example, is they probably, you know— would have projected 18,000 at their games, 15,000, I don't know, whatever. What I'm saying is it wouldn't have increased to 23,000, 24,000 the way they played. The Dodgers sell out every game. They're not going to increase anything. The Yankees sell out most of their games or all their games. I don't know. They're not going to increase it. The percentage wasn't going to go up. The Padre percentage to me from what they normally get of like 22,000, 24,000, go up to 30,000, 32,000, that's a big increase. So percentage-wise, I think the Padres probably increase in attendance percentage-wise, probably lost one of the most. And then coming into this year, probably if there's no fans again, I would assume lose again one of the most percentage-wise of an increase off of just you know ticket sales. Then another thing that really, really hurts the Padres more than other teams, in my opinion, and sets them a year back, is all the young pitching that they had. We've been rebuilding, rebuilding, and the main thing that we've been stockpiling is is good young arms, right? So you got you got Gore, Morahan, Patino, Weathers, Cole Wilcox types. That's like five, you know, projected pretty good arms for the Padres farm system. Young, some of these guys have gotten their feet wet in the major leagues, but. If you look at it, like I'll just give an example of each one. Mackenzie Gore, what was what did he do? He pitched a little bit at USD. That's not he would have been in Double A last year. Probably would have pitched fifty to seventy innings in Double A, and then if he dominated there, would have been up in the major leagues. Let's say he throws another 
40, 50 innings in the major leagues. Let's say he got brought up the end of June, July-ish, and then he finishes off the second half of last year with the Padres, and let's say he throws 120 innings. Well, if he threw 120 innings, because he threw 100 innings or close to 100 innings, if I'm not mistaken, the year before, so you add another 20 innings to that, then you're looking at him, if he has a good spring training, uh, being in the starting rotation. I don't see how he could be in the starting rotation come this season because he doesn't have enough innings under his belt. You can't have him pitch down at USD and then go, you know what, dude? We need you for 140 innings this year. That's just not going to happen. Moron, he pitched all for the Padres this year, but how many innings did he get? He would have been down in double A. He would have got a lot of innings, and then he probably would have gotten in that long relief role, um, spot starter, what have you, and then maybe you make him into a starter coming into this season. If you make him into a starter this season, he can't go. He's not going to be able to throw 120, 130 innings either. I don't think he's ever thrown, if I'm not mistaken, over 60 or 70 innings in a season. So you can't have him throw over 100 innings. Patino, same thing. He would have been in double A, started the whole season in there. And then exactly the same trajectory as Gore. You know, I think Gore threw about 20 innings in double A in 2019. So then, you know, both of those guys. Um, Weathers, Ryan Weathers would have been in single A. He would have high A probably start the season, then probably got to double A. And then maybe this year, you know, bring him halfway through the season if he was ready, kind of that trajectory. Cole Wilcox, basically, he probably missed a whole season. So to what I'm trying to say is I think all those guys had a year setback. Yeah, Morahan and Patino threw a little bit for the Padres, but you don't have a, you don't have enough arm strength inning, innings-wise for the Padres to be like, okay, let's pencil those guys in as starters this year, where I think by 2021, you could have penciled in one or two of those guys and then had one or two of those guys kind of backing them up, and you would have a lot of depth. You would have like seven, eight guys going into a spring training where you felt good about starting pitching, and 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 you could play around with the innings that way. You could still play around with the innings this way, but it's going to be a lot it's going to be a lot harder than it would have been if without a pandemic. It also doesn't help. Now this has nothing to do with the pandemic, but Clevenger, you know, getting Tommy John. Clevenger getting Tommy John really sets them back too because now you got you got really three starters. You got Lament, you got Paddock, and you got uh, Davies. So you basically need two starters. Now you got what I what I think is Gore, Patino, and Morahan. I mean, if you used all three of those, that could be a one starter, in my opinion. Like if all of them, if you said we're going to use, we're going to use all three of them for seventy innings a piece, seventy to ninety innings a piece, around in that area. Because I don't think any of them can go to over one hundred twenty innings. This year, otherwise you're you're pretty much asking for a disaster. You're asking for an injury. But if you said we're going to project each three of those guys to throw seventy innings, then you could play around with that. Like you could, um, if Gore started, you you tell him to pitch four innings, and then Morhan came in for two or three innings in the same game, basically, and 
um, go that route or, or Patino, whatever. And then each one of them throw around 75 innings. But you have to do it for two spots now because Clevenger got hurt. And with Clevenger hurt and out for the season, now you need two spots. So you think, okay, well, let's go sign a free agent. Well, I come back to the money part where I think I'm not positive, but I think they got set back a little bit more than they probably were thinking. I mean, every organization is in that same boat, but I think a little bit more for the Padres. Now, I will say this. Um, I have one guy that gives me a little bit of information on the Padres. I actually have two now. I mean, you could believe me if you want or not. I, I don't really give a shit. I mean, I know Padre Twitter. You don't have anyone. That's fine. I don't really care. But I got a second guy now, and the guy that that gave me the information on Machado and, and um, Harper and, you know, convinced me that they were going to sign one or the other or were at least really close to signing one or the other and he ended up signing Machado. Um, I asked him straight up, you know, when Peter Seiler took over the franchise, I said, I said, um, this is a good thing, right? Because now, because when they were debating on Machado and Harper, he kept telling me that if it, if it was Seiler, they were, would have already signed one of these guys. That Seiler... He likes to spend or he's not so, you know, tightwad with the with his money as far as Fowler is. Fowler took it more as a business. Seiler takes it more as he wants to win and he'll spend more money. So in that sense, I'm really happy that Peter Seiler took over. I think Ron Fowler did a great job. He put us on the map. Basically, you know, he let he, he did international spending. He did free agent spending. He got Hosmer, got Machado. Those are under him as an owner. So as a Padre fan, that is great. That's fantastic. But I am looking forward to Peter Seiler, you know, having full control and, you know, making the decisions here as far as the money goes. So I do think, I don't know if it's going to be this year, but I, I'm convinced that they are going to spend even more than previous seasons. So, Money-wise, if they got a free agent, I wouldn't feel like, oh, shit, well, if this is a bad contract, I hope they start don't start unleashing guys and, you know, hey, it didn't work and we got we to gotta save money. So if they signed a free agent like Bauer, I, I wouldn't be shocked. But I think I would assume that they're going to wait one more year and sign a free agent come the following offseason. Because two things. Two things come to mind in, when I say that is one is before you sign a, a guy like Bauer, you got to make sure Lament's healthy. And if Lament's not healthy, let's say, let's say, I mean, we're all Padre fans. Most of you are Padre fans listening to this. If Lament, if in a couple days or a month, whatever, you find out he has Tommy John, or you're concerned that his elbow's kind of fucked up, and you don't know if you can count on him. Why go get like a Bauer? Why trade for a U Darvish? Because you're so many pitchers away. I don't think, like if Lament's out for the year and Clevenger's out for the year, I don't think you can have an offseason to make the Padres into a World Series contender. I mean, you could if you just spent this shitload of money, but let's be realistic, they ain't going to do that. So I would say just take a, take a year back. You're just, you're one year setback. With Lament's injury, with Clevenger's injury, with the pandemic and the pitchers not being 
technically ready this year. You're just one year set back. You come back in 2022, you get Lament and Clevenger back. Now you can't project them to be, you know, full go until probably June, July. But at least they're gonna at least you would have something there. Then if you went and signed a Bauer type, that offseason would be better. Because if you signed Bauer type this offseason and Lament and Clevenger are out for the year, I mean good luck. Yeah, you'll make the playoffs or but you ain't beating the Dodgers, you ain't beating the Braves with only one, you know, bona fide ace. Now, could Gore, Moore, Harner, Pertino, one of them break out? Sure. I would project one of them does, because you got three options for that. It's like having a good poker hand, like Hey, should I play, uh, you know, go for the river? Well, how many outs do you have? You have three outs in Gore, Morahan, and Patino, one of them breaking out. I wouldn't count on all of them breaking out. No, that'd be stupid. But one of them, yeah, I like my odds there. Um, So there's some rumors too, you know, Snell or Darvish. I don't know. I mean, obviously it would depend. Like I said, it would still go back to Lament. If Lament's healthy, then yeah, I would, I would, Consider Snell or Darvish. I wouldn't really want Snell. I mean, Snell's a baller. He's left-handed. He could pitch against the Dodgers, and, you know, they got all those left-handed bats. But we need an an innings eater right now. Right now, you need a guy who's going to throw 150, 170 innings. That's what I think you need the most. So that that you could could use Gore, Morahan, Patino the way you want to use him instead of just rushing them and oh I just we have to pitch you got no one else like I don't want to do that I want to use them the way you know you're in control of it not oh we're fucked and we need you to go out there it would cost a lot to get Snell he's got three years of control Um, it costs I don't know how much it would cost for Darvish it seems like the Cubs are more in getting rid of the contract so in that sense, I don't care as much because, like I said, if Peter Seiler and he was on Darren Smith's show, I didn't listen to it, but I saw the quotes that basically he, I, I'm very confident in Peter Seiler signing some people. You know, I just don't know if it's going to be this offseason because I don't know if he's saying, well, we don't know if there's going to be fans because what if there's no fans again? Or there's only small scattered fans around that you can only have five, ten thousand 10,000 at the game. Well, shit, you're still losing money, dude. And that sets you back, man. I mean, I don't care what anyone says. Everyone's like, oh, these owners are so rich. They could just do this, this, and that. Look, if you got $5 million and someone takes away two, you're going to be pissed. Yeah, you still have $3 million, but you're going to be fucking pissed. So um, what would it take to get, you know, to me, to get Snell, you're looking at one or two. You're looking at... um. Either Abrams or Patino, and then Camposuano's got to be in the deal, and then a throw-in. That, to me. So it would be like Patino and Camposuano and another guy for Snell, or it would be Abrams, Camposuano, and another guy. And I just don't think I'm willing to do that, uh, especially if Lament's not healthy. If Lament's healthy, I'm more willing to do that. Because you would have two bona fide aces up at the top of the rotation, and you could compete with anyone. But you're mortgaging, you're mortgaging some of your future, and you could play almost the the long game and say, "Hey, we're going to be really good for seven years, five seven years, and maybe one of these years we get lucky and we win a World Series." Which, look, all I want is one goddamn World Series. That's all I fucking want is one World Series. 
I don't care how you do it. You could suck for the next 20 years. I just want to be at a bar one day and be like, that one year they won it. I don't care. You could play the long game and, and have a five, seven-year window, or you could shorten the window but have have a better better odds for that shortened window than the long run is trying to what I'm trying to say. Like if you got Snell right now, I mean, as long as you're healthy, I I mean I think you could compete with anyone. Um hopefully there's a DH because I don't think Tommy Pham's that good defensively. I don't know what they're going to do with him out there. It seems like he's kind of breaking down. I would expect a little bit of a bounce-back season from him. Not too much. The guy I would expect a bounce-back season from is Chris Paddock. I don't think he's as good as his rookie year. I don't think he's as bad as last year. So a little mixture in there. And then I would expect Kyle, or not Kyle, um, Davies to to have a little worse of a season. So I think Paddock will probably have the year Davies had, or, or maybe not as good. And then Davies will not as bad as Paddock. But you're going to need one more pitcher. I think I wouldn't mind going this route is signing one-year deals for guys like James Paxson or Chris Archer or Corey Kluber. I know Paxson and Kluber have had some injury problems, but if you sign one of them and they give you early in the season 50, 70 innings, and then you get to you know the all-star break, then you can go trade for, you know, someone that's having a good year, because you'll you still have to have your minor league system. You know, you haven't traded any of your your bad players yet. You could go, or not bad players. You haven't traded any of your good prospects yet. At the halfway point, maybe you go rent someone for a half a season. Because basically, what I'm trying to say is, all you need is an innings eater to get through this season. Now, if you want to win a World Series. This year, and you're putting all your a lot of your eggs into this season, then you probably need a Bell, uh, a Snell, Darvish, or Bauer. You you probably need one of those guys. But if you're if you're playing the long run, which would which is what I would do, I would sign one of those free agents I just named. Hope that they could get you to the halfway point at least, and then if you're looking really good, like you know you're seven ten games above five hundred at the break. And you feel like shit. There's a there's a pitcher that's having a breakout season. He's looking really good. He's gonna be a free agent after this year. All we have to do is give up, you know, a decent prospect, you know, our twelfth prospect in the system, to get him to rent him for two and a half months, and he could get us through the season. Then we get Clevenger back the following season, and we ha- and maybe you know Siler says, yeah, I'll spend this off season. Then that's the route I would probably go. As far as uh, Tatis goes, I was talking about, an, I got another guy a little bit. He knows Tatis's agent. Um, his uncle, you know, is good friends with Tatis's, or not good friends, but is friends with Tatis's agent. And this was like a month ago. He said there was no talks of an extension. I don't know if there's talks now. There's some rumors going around. Maybe, the, you know, Siler's said something like, we love to extend him, blah, blah. Of course they're going to say they love and extend him. They'll extend him. My thing is, I don't think I would extend him right now. And the reason why I wouldn't extend him right now is he's only played one full season. He hasn't even played a full season. So I would let him play one more full season, and then I would extend him after this year. I don't think, you know, the price is going to go from, I mean, I saw one rumor. Oh, Padres are about to sign him for a 10-year deal, $400 million. I'm like, dude, he's not a free agent. 
If he's going to sign an extension, it's going to be Acuna signed for like 100. So if he's going to sign an extension, it's probably going to be like 150, 175 like tops right now. I mean, if you want to take that gamble, that's fine. I mean, I would do it too, but it takes one more year to feel more comfortable about him staying healthy for for a full season. And then, you know, instead of it being 150, now it's 175. Or instead of it being 175, now it's 200. I'm much more willing to do that. Because if he gets hurt again, okay? Because last year was only a half a season, so that doesn't really count. He didn't play a full season. The previous season, he played like 80 games. He got hurt in AA. And the previous season before that, he missed like six, eight weeks too. So two of the last three seasons, he's gotten hurt. And then last year, he only played half because there was only half a season. He didn't really get hurt. So that's not his fault, but still, this, there was only half of the season. So I would like it for him to be more proven, to give that big extension. The bottom line is, Seidler and this organization are not going to let him walk. He's not going to go anywhere. I wouldn't worry about it. Everything you do, like if you sign Bauer, you have to make sure you have enough money to sign Tatis. Every move you make, you have to make sure you have enough money to sign Tatis. Every single move you do. Because you can't let that guy go. Because let's say he left. I would never. I, w- I would pretty much be, wouldn't be a Padre fan ever again. I would never buy any merchandise ever again. I'd still be a fan because they're here in San Diego, but I would never believe they're going to win, unless they won the title before he left. If they won the title before he, he left, I'd be like, okay, whatever. But if he leaves and you haven't won a title, I'm going to be like, well, how the fuck are you going to tell me you're going to win a, ever win a title? You just had the best player in the league and you let him walk. Like, there's just no way. So you have to sign him. Otherwise, you're going to lose your whole fan fan base. All right, I'm going to switch it over to the NFL. Uh, I'll start with the AFC. Playoffs are about to start in a week or two weeks from now. Um, The question is, can anyone compete with Kansas City? I only see really one team in the AFC that can compete with Kansas City, just the way that the styles, you know, of the way they play, and I think that's the Indianapolis Colts. And some of you might be surprised on that because I'm not a real big Rivers guy. But they have such a good offensive line, and their defense, I think their defensive coordinator is really good. I think Buckner's one of the best D linemen in football. I think Darius Leonard's one of the best linebackers in football. The rest of the defense is just no-name guys. I mean, they're just okay guys. So I think that coordinator is pretty good. Now, the Colts, when they play elite offenses, seem to struggle. But their style, I think the way offensively, I think they can control the football. Rivers, you know, can do short passes. They basically do that crossing route play. He runs a play action and the guy does like a, a corner post almost or, he, you know, drag whatever all the way through. You got Pasquale's pretty good receiver. You got um, the kid from USC is really good. He looks like Vincent Jackson to me. Pittman and then... Um, T.Y. Hilton, he had sucked all season. Looked like he was toast. Looked like he was done. Looked like his career was over. And apparently his grandma told him like he sucks. And it seems like the last couple of weeks he's looking like the old T.Y. Hilton. Um, Jonathan Taylor, the beginning of the year, halfway through the season, to me looked like a bust. He was pitter-pattering. Uh, but he's starting to hit the holes. Their offensive line's really good. Rivers isn't turning the ball over. If I was a Colts fan, I would still be worried of the big interception, try to play hero ball in the playoffs. If he falls behind, you're going to be in trouble. But if they can stay within 
you know, one score the entire game, I think the Colts have the best shot to beat them. I don't think Buffalo has much of a shot. <coughs> Excuse me. I love Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen, I mean, he's going to be, what, number three for MVP votes behind Rodgers and Mahomes. Uh, it's funny how everyone said that guy was going to be a bust and Sam Darnold was going to be the greatest thing ever. And it's funny because, like, for the first two years, Sam Darnold's, like, excuse, like, with Daniel Jeremiah and the rest of the fucking guys in the media was, Sam Darnold doesn't have anyone to throw to, this and that. Who the fuck did Josh Allen before this year have to throw to? He didn't have shit. I never heard one excuse for Josh Allen. It just was, he sucks, he can't get him the ball. Well, he gets digs, and all of a sudden he's not, he's, He's going to be a top three in MVP votes, probably. Minimum top five. Um, I just don't think Buffalo is good good enough defensively to stop the Chiefs, and then they don't run the ball. You have to you have to do two things. You got to slow the Chiefs down just enough. I mean, you're going to give up twenty seven. You're going to give up twenty seven to to thirty one. I mean, if you if you hold them to twenty seven thirty one, you got a shot. Um. You're not going to hold them under under that. I, I highly doubt it. So you got to, but you got to control the football and try to minimize the possessions. And I don't think Buffalo does that enough. They don't run the ball well enough, and then they don't stop the run well enough for for me to think that they could beat them. Uh, Pittsburgh has no shot, in my opinion. Pittsburgh is toast. Ben Roethlisberger's toast. Uh, Baltimore. I don't think Lamar Jackson's good enough of a quarterback. He just. He's a running quarterback. You, you gotta you gotta be able to make some throws. And Baltimore's defense isn't as good as it used to be. And then Cleveland's offense is is really balanced and, and can give Kansas City trouble. But I don't think they could stop them defensively. You know, I don't you know, just not enough. And then Tennessee, again, offensively, I think they would give them trouble, but Tannehill doesn't make enough plays, in my opinion. Yeah, he's good on play action, but if he falls behind and has to throw, he's just not good enough of a quarterback. He he relies way too much on running, and so does Baker Mayfield. So does Kirk Cousins. They all run that same system. Where the, if the team runs for 150, 170 yards, yeah, the quarterback's going to look good. But the minute that they fall behind two scores, those quarterbacks aren't good enough to come back. So I don't think they have much of a shot. As far as the NFC goes, I think it's a little more open in the NFC. The Packers are going to be most likely the one seed. I think to beat the Packers, you're going to have to do almost the same thing. The Packers are not physical. You could get physical on the Packers. So if you have a good D-line and you can run the ball, you could beat them. Well, that's the Saints. The Saints got a really good D-line and they can run the ball. Problem with the Saints is their quarterback. Their quarterback sucks. Drew Brees, is, he sucks. Um, he, he was an all-time great. He's not good anymore. I mean, he's okay. I mean, he's not terrible. He's not going to turn the ball over and stuff. But I don't think he's good enough anymore. Something's going on with Michael Thomas. I don't. I mean, he just, I don't know. He didn't decide to play this year. It seems like every time Breeze is out there, he doesn't want to play. I don't know if there's something personal there. But if they don't have Michael Thomas, I don't think they're explosive enough on offense to – to beat the Packers. They can run the ball against the Packers because their O-line's elite. And the Packers' defense is really soft. It doesn't... But the Packers offensively are so damn good. They're so balanced that you're not going to get that many possessions on the other end to just control the line of scrimmage against them because they're going to score and they're going to run the ball. 
Um, so who else would have a chance against the Packers? Um, I mean, the Buccaneers, I could see their D-line having a lot of success getting after Rodgers, but I don't think they got the secondary to keep up. Now, if it was in and, – and that's the other thing with the Bucs. I don't like Brady. I don't. I think Brady, he's not any good anymore. If Tampa's – I don't understand. Tampa has so much goddamn talent on that team. I don't think Brady's that good. And, and once they got Antonio Brown, I don't think they've been the same. When, before they got Brown, I thought they were a Super Bowl contender. Since they got Brown, he tries to force the ball into Brown, and I, I just don't like it ever since they got him. I do like their – like Sue and Barrett and uh, Pierre Paul will probably get after teams – and then I love Devin White, the linebacker. I just don't think they have a secondary good enough, you know, and I don't think they run the ball good enough to to beat a team like the Packers. Um, who else is in there that has – the Rams. I think the Rams can beat them, although if Goff has to play and it's really cold weather, he's a pussy, and I don't know if Goff will be able to make enough plays, but they're the style that could beat the Packers because they'll run the ball – um, the Rams O-line is pretty good, and it, I think they're getting Whitworth back. And Aaron Donald, you know, can have a – can give the Packers some problems. Obviously, he's the best defensive player in the league. So, you know, I mean, but I, I like the Packers' chances, especially if they get home field. Uh, Rodgers is always tough in Green Bay. Um, the concern there would just be their defense. That's going to be their concern is can they stop teams from just controlling the game, just running the ball, and then being physical up front and getting after Rodgers. Um, you're going to have to slow down Aaron Jones, though, and Aaron Jones is pretty fucking nasty. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was, like, the NFL draft and the offseason going in. The Jaguars are in a great position. They're going to get Trevor Lawrence. They just need to tank and lose the next two games. The Jets blew it by winning that game. That was stupid. I don't care what anyone says. Oh, no, you're supposed to win. Fuck you. You're an idiot. You should lose those games. Get the best player. Um, I think now the Jets are in a situation. If I were the Jets at two, I would take I would take Zach Wilson. I think he's that good. I would even put him over fields. As far as... Like, what do you do with Darnold? Just trade him. If you could get like a third rounder or late second rounder, trade him. You're, you're not going to get a first rounder. I heard Daniel Jeremiah, uh, you could probably get a first rounder. Get the fuck out of here. You ain't getting no first rounder for Sam Darnold. He's not good. Um, but if he went to a team like the Colts, you know, this offseason with Frank Wright and that offensive line, maybe you'll be good. I mean, Frank Wright makes Carson Wentz look good. You know, I mean, Carson Wentz had better players than Frank Wright. But Frank Wright's a damn good coach. He's a top-five coach, in my opinion. He's making Rivers, you know, play better. Um, as far as I know, some of you are Charger fans. I've been asked, like, what what should the Chargers do? Well, the Chargers right now are 5-9, and nine, and they got, they got Denver and then possibly Kansas City, you know, not playing everyone. I got a feeling the Chargers are going to win their last two games and go 7-9, and nine, and Anthony Lynn's going to come back because that's just typical Chargers. Now, if they lose out and they get a top-10 pick, if I were the Chargers, I would look at a couple couple players. I'd look at the defensive tackle from Iowa. I think his name is Nixon. I just started studying him. I studied one game. He looked pretty damn good to me. It was just one game, so I'm not. But I would look at a D lineman because you're not going to get Sewell 
from Oregon. I know Daniel Jeremiah likes some linemen from Northwestern. I don't know if he's any good. But Chargers obviously need an O-line, D-line, or corner. And then would you go receiver? Well, the receiver class is loaded. And I think I think Waddle and Chase are worthy of top 10 picks. I think those guys are both elite prospects. Chase from LSU and Waddle from Alabama. I wouldn't take Devontae Smith in the top 10. I think he's more of like a Reggie Wayne. I think he's more of a number two receiver. Really good number two. But I don't think he's, you know, fast enough to be a one or or physical and big enough to be, you know, a number one receiver. Chase to me is Michael Thomas with a little more speed, a little more, a little more uh explosiveness. Like when he catches a ball, he's almost like a running back. Like he could catch a five yard slant and be like Terrell Owens, take it to the house. Like he's that explosive. The only concern I'd have on him is he's not the fastest you know, receiver. He'll probably run a four five, maybe a high four five. Uh Waddle. Waddle's a taller version of Tyreek Hill, in my opinion. And if I were the Chargers, I would take him over Chase just so that he goes deep, Waddle goes deep, then Keenan Allen can eat on those intermediate routes, and so can Hunter Henry, as long as they keep Hunter Henry. I know he's a free agent. You know, it's kind of like how the Chiefs use Tyreek Hill goes deep, Kelsey underneath, and eats. That's how I would build some of these teams. Uh, Someone was asking me on the Lions what I would do if I were the Lions. If the Lions are in position to draft Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, then they have to draft Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. I wouldn't draft draft Trey Lance or Mac Jones. Um, You know... I would trade Stafford if I could draft Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. If I if I'm not in position to get those guys, then I guess you got to keep Stafford. But when I was a Charger fan and the Chargers were in position to draft uh, Watson, I said the Chargers should trade Rivers and they should draft Watson, and everyone yelled at me. Like, and I was like, dude, you have to use it. You have to trade the guy. You know, when he's winding down in his career, when he only has a couple years left. And your roster isn't good enough. Like, okay, for the Lions, like, and they trade Stafford. Like, there's there's this one Lions fan that we've been following each other on Twitter for years. And now he's, like, all pissed at me because I said, yeah, you should trade Stafford if you could draft Wilson or Fields. And he's like, no, no, you build around Stafford. I'm like, dude, Stafford's going to be 33 come next season. So you got about five years tops, probably three to five years in him left. You're telling me... That in that window, there's nothing they could do this offseason to make them a Super Bowl contender. There's no way that they could have that good of an offseason. So the fall, so that's one year. The following season, most likely, the roster defensively is so bad that good luck trying to fix that in two offseasons. So now you're basically down to the third year. I mean, good luck, dude. Like, yeah, you can... I've seen teams... One or two off-seasons really changed their team, but good luck. Where if you went the other route and you traded him, you let's say you drafted Justin Fields, you traded Stafford, I think you get a first-rounder. Like I don't see why the Saints, if Breeze leaves, wouldn't want to give a first-rounder for him. I don't see why if San Francisco, he'd be a great situation there. Um, Colts, if Rivers left. Let's say one of those teams... Gave a first round. Let's say it was the 25th pick. You get a defensive player there. 
the second round you draft a receiver, whatever. Yeah, you're going to suck next year if you're the Lions because you don't have much and you got a rookie quarterback. Sure. Then the following season, you got another top 10 pick. And that's how you build. And then you've gotten rid of Stafford's contract. You're um, cap-wise in much better situation. And basically, you're just saying, we're going to suck one more year. And then the following season, Zach Wilson or Fields goes into year two and is on a cheap contract for the next three, four more years. And you have the flexibility to get some free agents and you're picking high. That's how you, you change your franchise. You don't fucking just keep... Like, I love Stafford. He's my favorite player. I think he's one of the most underrated players of any sport in my era. And probably number one. I mean, he's just on a piss-poor organization. They suck. And someone was asking me, uh, who would I want as a head coach? I'd run... Number one, I'd run um, the Dabble from the OC for the Buffalo Bills or the OC in Carolina, Joe Brady. Those would be my first two picks. If they got uh, the DC from San Francisco, I, I wouldn't mind that one either, but I would want Brady or Brian Dabble as the head coaches. Now, Brady's probably not even close to being ready to being a head coach, but if you got Joe Brady, who was with LSU, he was basically the off. He was basically their passing coordinator. He wasn't even really considered the OC, but at LSU. But the passing game was so strong, and and Carolina made him the offensive coordinator this year. He's real young, and they're saying like he might be like the next Sean McVay. If you got him, you would have to go get a defensive coordinator that's been a head coach, though. So like you know, if they got um, Denver's guy if he if he gets fired, Fangio or something. That would be a great duo, something like that then I think he would work out. If you don't get any head coach, defensive coordinator, or someone on the O-line, something that's been a head coach in the league, and he's by himself, then he's probably going to struggle. But if you got someone to help him out, show him the ropes, then I think he'll be fine. Um, As far as the college football playoff goes, I think you got the four teams. I think you got the four teams correctly in, and... Alabama's going to kick everyone's ass. Um, I wanted to bet Clemson minus six and a half, but that spread against Ohio State, it's now seven or seven and a half. If it goes down to six and a half, I'll probably take Clemson. The Alabama spread's like 19 and a half against Notre Dame. I think it it might be a little too high. Alabama's so fast offensively, they're going to score a bunch of points. But I think Notre Dame can run the football all game long on them. The only problem is if Notre Dame gets down two, three scores and it's twenty, you know, it's twenty-one to three, then Notre Dame's toast. Because they ain't gonna just throw on them. I mean, you know, they could throw the ball, quarterback's okay, but he's much better when you don't know if it's gonna be run or pass. And they want to be able to run the ball and you know, use their good old line. Their really good old line should, I think, it should have a lot of success against Alabama's front seven. Alabama's front seven is that good. They they got some real young linebackers in there, and they don't have their D linemen that they've had in years past. Um, so you could score on Alabama. The only problem is you ain't gonna stop them. Alabama's offense is fucking ridiculous. I think that Najee Harris guy he reminds me a lot of Le'Veon Bell. Catching the ball out of backfield, the balance, the 
the vision that he has, the patience. I mean, he's going to be a really good running back in the NFL. Um, their offensive line is fucking awesome. Mac Jones, is he's hard to evaluate, but he throws. He's very accurate. He'll be fine in the NFL. Probably be a more athletic version of Matt Ryan. Pretty accurate. I think he's got, well, Matt Ryan's arm, you know, when he's first drafted is much better than what it is nowadays. But I can see him being, you know, somewhat like a Matt Ryan for Mac Jones. I can see Notre Dame in the first half kind of hanging around. And then once once the run comes, like Alabama's like Golden State, like when Golden State had it humming. Once the run comes, then Notre Dame's toast. So 19 and a half is a lot, though, so I'll, I'll stay away from that. Um, as far as Ohio State goes, I don't think Ohio State's secondary is any good. I think they'll give up some plays, although I don't think Clemson's receiving core is that good. You know, they're missing Justin Ross. He was... He was going to be like a first-round receiver and a junior, so they're expecting him to be the go-to guy after, you know, they've had some guys leave for the NFL. But, you know, he tore his ACL, I believe, at the beginning of the season. So they're kind of lacking at the receiver position, but Lawrence is so good. And that D-line, dude, that D-line, that number 11, I think his name's Breesy, uh, defensive tackle, that guy's going to be a top-five pick. He's only a freshman. Whenever he comes out uh, two years from now, you know, in 2023 draft, he'll be a top five pick. I'll predict that right now. I mean, that guy's a beast. And then their their defensive end, number 98, Murphy, he'll probably be a top 10 pick. I mean, they're going to be so good defensively next year. They got a sophomore corner that's really good. Um, You know, they'll have the, the quarterback, DJ, back. Clemson's going to be really good to come next year, too. I mean, I'm not saying anything that anyone doesn't know, but I'm just saying I think next year Clemson's even going to be better. So... Uh, I'll say Clemson wins. I may, I'm, I might be tempted to bet Clemson because I don't, I don't see Ohio State. I mean, offensively they might be able to move the ball here and there, you know. But if if Chris Olave doesn't play, he's probably a late first round or early second round receiver. If he doesn't play, I think they might have trouble. Garrett Wilson's only a sophomore; he'll probably be a first rounder in 2022 draft. But I don't know if they have enough firepower. On offense against Clemson's defense, it's going to come after Fields. And then defensively, I just don't think Ohio State's that good. So then you're going to get Clemson, Alabama, and anything that's less than seven, I'll take Alabama because, well, actually, I'll probably take the over in that game because I think both teams will score a lot of points. So that's all I got. Um, Maybe give a retweet. Um, Maybe tell me what you like on the pod. What you don't like. As far as the periscopes go, it sounds like that's going to go away in March from Periscope, but maybe there's live Twitter or something. Maybe I'll, I don't know. Someone told me there was going to be a thing called live Twitter. It's basically going to be the same thing. I don't know. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Till the next time. Good night now.